This is KOOP HD1 HD3 Hornsby. The following was home crafted and recorded on January 18th and 19th. Austin Chronicle show. My name is Kim Jones and I am the editor of the Austin Chronicle, Austin's independent source of news and culture reporting since 1981. So I think we can all agree that we've collectively been through the ringer these past couple of years. It hasn't always been easy to know what to do with these intense emotions and dark thoughts. But luckily, there are artists among us who are really talented at taking that raw material and processing it, turning it into powerful artistic statements. That's the story behind Jay Solja, a local rap artist who is on the cover of this week's issue of the Austin Chronicle. So I've asked the guy behind the article, Derek Udenzi, to come on the show and give us some insights into his conversation with Jay Solja. Hi, Derek. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, KJ. Man, just like that, appearance number two. Who would have thought? You know, you knocked it out of the park the first time, so you got an invitation back. So, Derek, before we start listening to some of the music, I want you to just give our listeners a little bit of background about who is Jay Soldier. Yeah, so I think in my opinion, Jay Soldier is one of the best current MCs in the local Austin hip-hop scene. And not only that, I feel like he is a very important figure in the local scene because of what he's doing behind the scenes. You know, it's about to be four years since he had a very pivotal ambassador deal with Social Suites which he then parlayed into a mini concert series called The Smoke Out, which allowed various other artists to headline shows here in Austin, which isn't always a common theme here among hip hop artists. So when you have a talent who is very talented, but is also willing to help his peers advance their careers from the very start, I think you have a very pivotal figure before you. Now, you sat down with Jay Solja right before Thanksgiving. And when I was talking about it yesterday, I was sort of commenting on, he really opened himself up to you. And it sounds like he has been through some pretty tough times. Sure. I think that's the beautiful thing about the interview that I have with Jay Solja. And to an extent, his music, it's, it's authentic, it's raw. Every time he says something, you feel as if it's true. I mean, you only know so much about people, but... With someone like him, you would presume that when he speaks, he means it. And I sat down with him for a couple of hours, as he said, a week before Thanksgiving. And we touched on both his current mindset, his future goals. And he was just very open. I, I thank him a lot for that. And I think his mindset, you know, he's, he's a very strong-willed individual. And I think these next few years are going to be interesting to watch as he hopefully pursues his goals and completes them. Well, why don't we listen to a track from his latest album, which remind me that came out last fall? Yeah, in October on his birthday. So he usually oh. releases stuff on his birthday. So his eighth studio album, more than nothing. Eighth studio album. He calls it his eighth studio album. He's been at this for a while. Wow. We'll get back to that in a minute, but let's listen to a little bit from track from the new album, More Than Nothing, This Is Top Down. So that was a little bit from the track Top Down from Jay Soldier's album, More Than Nothing. I want to circle back to what we were talking about right before we listened to that clip. 
you just mentioned that this was his eighth studio album. And when I was talking to you yesterday, asking why you had been interested in doing this story to begin with, you said, and I really appreciated your candor, we should have put this guy on the cover a year ago. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Why is this guy who's been in the rap community for so long, why has he not made as big a splash necessarily? To be completely frank with you, I'm not entirely sure. I think this is a city where a lot of people can either get paid in the music industry at the very least, or I said that wrong. This is a city where a lot of people can make a living off of music or at the very least make a decent amount of money doing music. But I think it's a city where the infrastructure is not conducive to properly elevating rap artists for whatever reason. Maybe that's race. Maybe it's an antiquated mindset towards the genre. It could be a variety of things. I feel like with Jay Soulja, when you look at the fact that he had a Swisher Sweets ambassador deal in 2018, then on top of that, he ran about three straight shows of his sold out, promoting them on his own. And then on top of that, he's been a pretty solid artist. I think he's made the necessary jump in the last year, but his music's never been bad. From 2018 onward, he's been a good artist. I think he's becoming a great artist. So the only thing I can think of is infrastructure and maybe now finally people here in the city are starting to open their eyes to rap as a whole rather than just one or two or three acts that may just be friendly towards certain demographics to answer your question. In my opinion. So you see that we might be moving into sort of a new era in Austin appreciating rap as a genre. I mean, I it's so. like, yeah, historically, I mean, and I'm speaking also as the editor of the Austin Chronicle, where I think absolutely we've been accused rightfully so of not doing enough to write about the rap community. I think historically people have seen Austin as an alt country town and then a rock town. Mm -hmm. And it seems like all signs are pointing towards that. Maybe, I don't know. Is it too bold to say that rap is the ascendant genre in this town? No, it depends on how you define ascendant. I think now when you look at the city and you look at the amount of rap talent in this city, I mean, you have probably at least... 20, 30, 40 different rap artists making music in this city where if you listen to their music, you're like, okay, this is good. You know, you can't just dismiss it as being bad or terrible. That's not to say there aren't rap artists in the city that are making bad music, which there are, as is the case in any genre. But I think now there's enough talents in the city where you can no longer ignore it. It's not just four or five of the same people. It's 20, it's 30, it's 40. And the next step is just giving those artists a platform, you would hope. And that's what I've tried to do with things like the story. You know, Jay Soul just no one knew. He's been around for years. It's just that now, I guess, we're slowly focusing more on his story. And you see it now because his peers nominated him for the first time for the Austin Music Awards, which I thought was a great achievement. I think he deserved it this year for sure. Absolutely. Giving a platform is something that is really important to him as an artist who is trying to give opportunities to other rap artists. Let's talk a little bit about the show that he puts on. Yes. So originally, you know, if I'm being quite frank, I think, I know I keep saying this, but I feel like it kind of, he had his first surge in like 2018, 2019, 
And he started this series called The Smoke Out, where basically he ran a show where he was the main promoter. He was the main organizer. He headlined the first event, sold out. Second one, he allowed, or I don't want to say allowed, but he booked the Tita, who was someone he's made several songs with. And Tita's someone who some would say in many ways is the main guy in awesome hip hop nowadays in terms of longevity, because he's been doing it also for over 10 years. He did that. Then for the third show, he booked Quinn FN, if you follow Awesome Hip Hop. And we're recording this on Quinn FN's 21st birthday, by the way. Shout out to Quinn FN. But if you look at, you know, commercial performance, Quinn FN actually went viral online and was able to get a decent record deal with 10K Projects. So you look at that and, you know, he kind of went away from doing the smoke out and COVID didn't really help. And now he's putting on this thing called the pre-roll which is an open mic showcase where basically he's taking these underground artists. He's allowing them to perform better their stage presence. And on top of that, he's still having open signups where just about anybody can show up at 730 and get to perform and have their music critiqued. So when I look at that on a citywide scale, I don't really see anybody else doing that for hip hop, which is the main thing is other genres have open mic showcases other genres have shows where lower tier artists can kind of perfect their craft and they can perform at 10 a.m in a coffee shop on a saturday morning or they can go on a weeknight at 5 p.m and put on a show twice a week and do the same cover songs there isn't really a space for hip-hop in the city for that and i think jay soldier is probably the main person trying from what i see you might be the only person trying to do that because hip hop doesn't really have that type of equity in the city. When I see well, let's listen to another track from the new album. How about let's listen to Need Mine? Again, this is Jay Soldier from his album More Than Nothing. That was Need Mine by Jay Soldier on More Than Nothing. So we're about out of time, Derek, but I kind of wanted to end with your overall thoughts of where we are on the Austin rap scene. I know that's a massive question, but last fall, you did a really popular story called 21 Rappers to Watch in 2021. So looking forward, we're in 2022. Who do you have your eye on? What do I have my eye on? First and foremost, I want to give a shout out to, you know, Confucius Jones, Fresh Night, the IDK Network. People who have been putting in the work before I even started writing for the Chronicle. They have been putting in the work and giving a spotlight to artists and the city as a whole long before I did anything. But with that being said, who do I have my eye on? Young Bryce. I mentioned him the last time I was on here. I think you know, he's someone who Jay Soldier mentors. I'm really high on him. I'm excited to see what Quinn FN does. Since I think he's out of his label deal, I want to see if he goes back to releasing music at the consistent pace that he was doing before he had a deal. And I want to see how he can rebound. I want to see what Double does on his first proper album that hasn't come out yet. And, you know, I'm going to throw a curveball. I want to see if Chiquita B can come back and release some music. I think she has some side projects she's been focusing on the last couple of years, but I want to see Chiquita B come back and hopefully release project this year. All right. I love Curveball. Derek, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Hopefully we'll have you back on soon to talk about any of those artists and other people who are making waves in the rap scene. So thanks again, Derek. Thanks for having me.
thanks for allowing me to come on here and really just speak openly. I can't thank you and, you know, Raul Hernandez and Kevin Curtin and the Chronicle staff enough. I appreciate you. You can find Derek's interview with Jay Solja on Stands Now and at AustinChronicle.com. And just a reminder, you are listening to the Austin Chronicle Show on Co-op Community Radio on 91.7 FM. We're going to take a quick pause. And when we come back, Chronicle Culture Editor Richard Whitaker is going to take over the mic. You're listening to the Austin Chronicle Show, and you just heard part of Michael Gordon's score for Decasia, part of a retrospective of the works of avant-garde filmmaker Bill Morrison. Joining me today on the Austin Chronicle Show is Joe Gross. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm not bad at all. How are you, Richard? I'm great. Thank you for joining us today. You had a chance to talk to Bill for an article in this week's Chronicle. For those people who don't know who Bill Morrison is, tell me a little bit about his career and who he is. Morrison is a very interesting guy. He was born in 1965 in Chicago, and he went to Reed College and then did some work at Cooper Union and is trained to be an artist and got into visual arts and animation before becoming a little frustrated with those things as media and turned to film. And unlike lots of filmmakers, he became interested in the idea of film as, you know, 24 images a second, which takes care of a lot of the long, boring process of animation if it's already sort of done for you. But he focused on old silent films that were in a certain state of decay. He wasn't interested in restoring stuff. He wasn't interested in making pristine looking movies. He wanted to take old decaying, often nitrate films, which is a very difficult medium to work with because it's so flammable and turn them into new work. He's been doing this for decades now. This is why we're talking about it, because we're actually in Austin about to have the first major Texan retrospective of his work. And this is actually quite an amazing collaboration. It's Austin Film Society. It's the Visual Arts Center at UT. It's Bass Concert Hall. It's you know, basically two months, of, effectively, of, of a celebration of his work. So it, like, kind of walk me through what we're looking at here in this you know, really quite unprecedented retrospective for such an avant-garde filmmaker in Austin. Yeah, it's really something else. It's really all Morrison all the time. And Austin Film Society will be doing something called Essential Cinema, the works of Bill Morrison. That is a retrospective of his major sort of feature-length works with short films attached. He's done a lot of shorts and they're all really gorgeous. All of his work's gorgeous. So viewers will be able to see a huge amount of his work there. But he's also doing something he's never done before at UT's Visual Arts Center. They will present the exhibit, Bill Morrison Cycles and Loops, which will be on view January 28th to March 12th. And this is the first time Morrison's work has been presented in this way as little pieces of art that stand on their own rather than a screening of a complete movie in a gallery space. It will involve loops of his films and sort of sound washes in the gallery 
rather than a score associated with the work. He's never done anything like that before, and it should be pretty singular. And the score with him is something that's, you know, he works to the music. And I, I, <laughs> I was looking through the, you know, when you sent me your uh, article to look at, I, I was astonished by just who he's worked with in terms of musicians. It's pretty much everybody. <laughs> it's a, Anybody it's with a an experimental edge to them. Yeah, it's a murderer's row of contemporary William Basinski, Bill Frizzell, Philip Glass, Kronos Quartet. That's just a couple of them. And in Austin, Bass Concert Hall will be presenting on January 21st something called Bill Frizzell and Bill Morrison, The Great Flood. And that is a screening of Morrison's film, The Great Flood, with a live score by Bill Frizzell and in a trio configuration with two other musicians. Frizzell did the score to The Great Flood, and he will be performing it, I presume, live at Bass. So this is an opportunity to see a tremendous amount of his work in a very brief period of time. If he's somebody you've ever been curious about or you know, not sure where to start, a lot of it is going to be on display. The Great Flood is one of his real masterworks, and it's also in some ways one of his most accessible because it deals with the Great Mississippi Flood of 1927. And the whole idea is that this created this incredible diaspora of particularly Black Southern culture across America. It coincides with blues really expanding across America and, and the birth of rock and roll. And Frizzell is kind of a perfect musician for that because he comes from such a jazz background. In some ways, it's a much more conventional score than Morrison has picked for a lot of his other work. I mean, I love William Bozinski, but you know, he does work in these loops. and these. I mean, he's a very similar artist in a lot of ways. Yeah, The Great Flood is phenomenal. And I just want to shout out the two other musicians who will be playing with them. Bass player Tony Scher and drummer Kenny Wilson will be joining Frizzell. And Frizzell is one of those guitar players who can do pretty much anything. And you make a good point about the flood being a wave of the Great Migration North. And Frizzell was a very smart choice for this score. And hearing it live will probably be something quite special. And also the chance to see Morrison's work on that kind of scale of screen, both at Bass and at AFS, because there is something, I think a lot of people have this image of what happens to film. I think we've all seen beaten up 35 millimeter prints and they just kind of, you know, just think, oh, well, they go kind of this weird pink color and it just looks old. But with what's happened to these nitrate prints and nitrate, you know, the reason people stopped using it, as you said, is it does have this habit of bursting into flames just yeah, you don't by exposure that. to the air. Something that one of his films points out is that you know, nitrate was so flammable and so unstable. The estimate is about 75% of silent films from the nitrate era are gone. And we, we don't know what they were. They just vanished because these things would burst into flame all the time. And the way celluloid disintegrates is very different from the way nitrate disintegrates. And if you've never seen... Morrison's stuff, it's probable that you've never seen 
this sort of damage to film, it turns it into something very different from what we think of as watching a, a narrative film, watching a regular old movie. You know, even on a 16 millimeter projector, eight millimeter projector, this is something very different. It almost looks like it's been overtaken by, you know, mold from outer space. There's, yeah, you know, absolutely. Or you can, with some of the some of his work, you can see where the ice crystals formed, and that's particularly important in, I think, what is regarded for many people as his most important work, which is Dawson City: Frozen Time. The story of which alone is astonishing. Can you talk a little bit about the discovery of that? Because it's one of those stories where you just go, you know, how did any of this happen? Yeah, Dawson City Frozen Time is interesting. Later in his, his more recent films have been more somewhat straightforward documentaries. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all. It's just that, you know, a lot of his early work is non-narrative and very subjective. Dawson City Frozen Time is less so. And it's about two things. Dawson City is about the place, Dawson City, which started as a gold rush city in the Yukon in the late 1800s and early 1900s in Canada. And I mean, imagine something like Deadwood just sort of springing up out of nowhere because there was gold to be found and all these buildings go up and people show up. And Dawson City also happens to be sort of the last stop on the early film or an early film distribution network throughout the West Coast of the United States and Canada. So Dawson City would get these movies sort of at their last stop. And the other thing to remember about Dawson City is it was largely abandoned for a while after the gold was sort of all panned out. People just left. I mean, they put their garbage, on, like literally put their garbage on barges, floated it down the river and left. And in 1977, about 577, 78, something like that, prints of old movies were found in Dawson City, literally frozen. And it was a significant discovery, but nobody had really done a lot with it. And Morrison told me and has discussed in the past that he was just obsessed with this find and made a movie about it. And Dawson City Frozen Time is that movie. And it parallels, you know, it examines these movies and sort of how they were consumed. Morrison noticed the parallels between the development of Hollywood and the development of Dawson City were very, very similar. You know, Hollywood started about 20 minutes after the Lumiere brothers figured out how to make movies repeatable and, and showable to audiences. And Morrison found the parallels striking. You know, they were both cities that sprung up in search of treasure. And that route for these physical objects, these films, was very interesting. And so Dawson City Frozen Time takes a look at the development of Dawson City, the development of Hollywood, 
how the city changed over time, how these movies look now versus look then. It's really something else. Well, it's you know one of the cornerstones of this retrospective, which, as we said, is going to be going on at Austin Film Society and UT Visual Arts Center through into February, and also the performance at Bass tonight, January 21st. Joe, thank you so much for being here and introducing us to the works of Bill Morrison. It's been a genuine pleasure. Thank you, man. And now I'm going to play you out with part of Bill Frizzell's score for The Great Flood, which Will Frizzell will be performing in accompaniment with Bill Morrison himself live at the Bass Concert Hall on January 21st. This is Kim Jones back again to say so long. Thanks to my colleague, Richard Whitaker, for picking up the second half of the show. Thanks to our guests, Derek Udenzi and Joe Gross. Thanks to our show engineers, Bob Daly and Andrew Solon. And thanks to the guys behind our theme music, Kevin Curtin and Jonas Wilson. Here's a little bit from the score for the Bill Morrison film, The Great Flood. Composer Bill Frizzell will be performing his score tonight at Bass Concert Hall. We'll see you next week. <laughs>